Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. So what I want to talk about today uh, for a few minutes, and we want to transition, uh, we're still still dealing with this, but I want to transition into some other things that are on my heart, uh, is about God being a consuming fire and a jealous God. These are different names of God, but they relate to one another in nature. So basically how you could look at this is that he desires to consume everything that is unholy and immoral in us because of his jealousy for us. Does that make sense? So he wants to consume these things. He wants to get rid of everything that's ungodly because he is jealous for us. So depending upon what side of eternity you stand on, depending upon if you've surrendered your life to Jesus or if you're opposing Jesus, God can either be a fire that consumes you as a whole or that consumes these impurities to make you whole. His fire can do different things in your life depending upon where you stand with God. So what I want to do is I want to share a few verses that deal with these two names of God. And then in light of these verses, I want to talk about some important topics that are in our culture and nation today uh, and ways that we can continue to pray for it. You know, after Jensen, or not Jensen, but um, uh, Franklin Graham called to pray. I've just been, you know, just looking at more and more things that are happening in our nation. Again, it's not a political statement by any means. We need to be uh, informed as Christians and as the church. We need to be equipped and know what we believe based on the Bible. And then we need to actually take action. I think a lot of times we watch the news and see things and we leave it in this political realm and we don't believe that we can actually do anything about it because it's you know, way off in Washington, D.C. And it's not a political thing to me. This is a Christian thing. This is a biblical thing. These are things that are happening that we want to honor Christ with. And if we understand that God is a consuming fire, then we know he wants to rid our own lives, and also this nation of unholiness and impurities. And he also is jealous for us as individuals, and he's jealous for us as a nation. So he wants us to be close to him. So because of these things, uh, maybe you're, you're our guest today. You're going to kind of sit in on a family meeting uh, where you at least know my heart and our, my stance on things, and then also what I believe to be the Bible and where, where all Christians should stand on those issues uh, the first verse I want to talk about is in, is in Deuteronomy 4, 23 and 24. The Lord's giving instruction here. and says, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So both of these terms are right next to each other here. Now, when we think about this in the Old Testament, we think about these idols being these golden calves and these statues that they put up. But we can create idols in our own lives that God uh, that are not God's best for us. And when we do those things, the Lord wants his refining fire to come and squelch those things. Now, that word consuming is different than the word refining. This word consuming actually means to completely destroy. It's not a refining or a renewing. It's a total consumption of all that is evil. So what they're talking about here is that in the Old Testament, if they were falling out of covenant, what that would mean in the New Testament is that if we would rebel against God and oppose God our our entire lives, if we would not give our lives to Jesus uh, as Lord and Savior, then he will be the consuming fire at the end times judgment. That word jealous uh, means fiercely protective and unaccepting of disloyalty. 
having a strong desire for exclusivity in relationship. So what this is saying is he desires to preserve what is rightfully his. He sent Jesus to the cross to pay everything that was necessary so that we would be his and that he would be ours and he is jealous for us. Can you say amen? Amen. So in these verses, this consuming fire, this is a vivid explanation of his potential wrath upon people who would fall out of covenant and rebel against him. You know, I spoke a few weeks ago about Adonai, Lord, our master. And I talked about how, you know, we want to talk about the God of comfort, the God of love, the God of peace, the God of joy, all of these things that make us feel all warm and fuzzy and safe. But that same God is also the consuming fire. That same God is also the God that wants to rid every impurity out of our lives and will again, like I said, at the end times judgment, uh, judge whether we are found righteous or unrighteous, not based on our actions, but based on our belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior or our rebellion against Jesus being our Lord and Savior. Anne Spangler, who wrote a few books on the different names of God and Jesus, uh, wrote this. She said, to oppose God is to encounter him ultimately as a terror, a God who in his wrath against sin is a consuming fire. But by contrast, to love God is to encounter him as a caring God who stands, as Zechariah says, like a wall of fire to protect and deliver us. So think about what his fire can do. I'm not preaching hellfire and brimstone. I'm not preaching that anybody in here is going to hell. What I'm saying is this God of love and comfort is also a consuming fire. So in light of this, we need to live our lives in such a way of one of fear and reverence toward the Lord, making sure we're living our lives under the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we would live lives that he would want us uh, to live. And it should also give us a heart for where our society is as a nation. It should, we should understand that individuals who are leading masses of people astray with some of the things that are going on right now are in grave danger of the judgment of the Lord. That we, that ha- we, have, to, we have to allow that tension to be in our hearts or everything's just gonna be joyful and glee and blissful the rest of our lives. And we're not gonna take into account uh, where our nation is going, where, where individuals are trying to steer this nation. Like I've said many times, the, the battle is not against people. So when I talk about things today and some of the, the topics that I talk about today, it's not against people or a political party. It is an attack of the enemy against our religious freedoms, against our Christian faith, and against people as a whole steering this nation down the wrong direction. So I don't want you to walk out of here with any type of anger at a certain person or party, but just be more diligent about praying uh, for these individuals that are making these big decisions. Amen? So we talk about consuming fire. Well, that just sounds like an Old Testament thing. Well, it's actually New Testament too. In Hebrews 12, 28, it says, Therefore, since we, are, we Christians, believers, are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. His nature, his names, his titles, his attributes, his character do not change throughout the Bible. It's just the way he interacts with us 
in different covenants. So here, that word consuming still means to utterly destroy completely. This is something, again, that should create some tension in our hearts for people that don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. One of the commentaries that I read uh, puts it like this verse like this. Let us be grateful that God, who is able to destroy us, has kept a permanent home for us in heaven. I love that statement. We have received and we still are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. So we can be thankful for that. We can be filled with joy for that. We can have assurance that we have a home in heaven and yet still know there are thousands upon thousands upon millions of people who don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we're on the receiving end of this, but we also know that other people have rejected this so far. The last verse I want to read in this, in, for these names is in Exodus 34, 14, where it says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So it's actually a title that the Lord puts on uh, for himself. Now, when this is done in a human perspective, jealousy is actually as the motive of selfishness, control, and manipulation. So when we hear of the word jealous, we usually put it in modern day definition of what we think it is. I was thinking of an example in high schoolers. You might know, you know, a friend of yours in school that don't know the Lord, uh, you know, don't know the Lord or, or Jesus as Lord and Savior. And maybe they're dating a guy. And if this guy talks to another girl, uh, just as a friend, you'll see like jealousy just overflow out of her ears and eyes and soul, right? <laughs> We've experienced this before. What that is, that's not a, that's not a protective jealousy, She's not trying to protect him from harm. And this can be vice versa too. It's just an example. But what happens is it's a selfish jealousy. It's a self-protecting jealousy because that person is now nervous that that boy is gonna start to like that other girl. It has nothing to do with that boy. It's all about a lack of identity, which then says, I'm going to be jealous of everything that happens that I don't like to preserve myself, okay? Last time I checked, God does not need to preserve himself He's perfectly fine in his own identity. He doesn't need affirmation before he goes to bed at night. He, he doesn't go to bed at night, by the way. So that word, when you see jealousy in scripture, it's a, it's a protective jealousy. It's a jealousy saying, listen, I know if you mix, God's saying this, I know if you mix me with anything else, it's to your demise. It's to gonna be to harm your life. So he's jealous for us. He's ravishing after us. He's coming after us with a jealous love saying, I do not want anyone else in this relationship. And then once we get that relationship right, our other relationship should fall into place. Okay? So that's the type of jealousy that he has for us so that his consuming fire does not need to come upon us. So when we think of this, you'll hear uh, if you watch even Christian news, you'll hear different prophets and different people saying different things. I, do, I believe that we are in the, the age of grace. This is the age of the church, okay? So Jesus died for our sins. This is an age of grace where his, the jealousy of God is after us. He's coming after us, okay? Now at the end of times, there will be a judgment where his wrath will be poured out. We can't get away from that. But I believe his heart goes out to those who are, who are headed in the wrong direction in life. Those who oppose him, his heart goes out to them. And yet the Bible says that God resists the proud or he opposes the proud. So what we see is this. 
He can resist our attitudes and resist our actions and resist our direction while still loving us with a jealous love. It's very hard for us as humans to do that. We have a hard time doing that, right? When we're resisting something that someone's doing, we're resisting a lifestyle that's something, we think we have to be against them as a person. That's not what Jesus did at all. He opposed the ways of men, and yet he loved every single one of them. Okay? So what I want to do is talk about some of these topics in light of God being a consuming fire, There is an end times judgment, but he's also a jealous God who wants every single person to come close to him. I'm going to talk about issues that are sensitive. I'm going to hit on three issues uh, that are sensitive that people in the room might actually have differing views on. Uh, And really, it's just a talk from my heart about things. I don't want applauses. I don't want loud amens. And this is not turning into a political uh, political event. I'm, okay, I'm perfectly fine with tension just rising in the room, knowing that some of you in here, you might just be even struggling where you stand on some of these things based on what you've read in the Bible. Does that make sense? Because I know how in a, in a Christian environment, we can, amen, and the louder we get than anybody else, it's like, wait a minute, I'm being amen out of something that I'm, I'm currently, str- I'm actually struggling with this. I'm actually working through this with the Lord. I'd rather be able to have open conversations with you than for you to leave thinking 400 people amend your current struggle out of the window. Does that make sense? So, and the reason why I am bringing these up is in light of a lot of the things that President Trump is being attacked for. And this is not, this is not a defense of President Trump at all. These are real issues that if you're not looking in the news, you're not like actually reading up on, you don't even know exist. And they're coming straight against Christian values and beliefs. The first one I want to talk about is the current aggressive fight for abortion rights. So listen, as Christians, we believe that life, that there is life at the moment of conception. We believe that life happens at the moment of conception. Therefore, I believe that Christians should oppose abortions, believing that that act ends the life of a child. Now, there are differing views in this room and in the Christian faith when it comes to pregnancy based on rape, incest, uh, and probable death or damage to the mother. I understand those things, and those conversations, I'm sure, will happen for years to come. But again, as Christians, the overarching support for life needs to be a value that we hold on to. I believe a fetus is a baby, that that baby is alive, and must be protected. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Check that out. A child, a person actually has a personhood that God knows before they are ever formed in the mother's womb. He's that jealous for us that before, before two elements come together to make a child, he actually knows them already. It says, before you were born, I set you apart. This is the Lord speaking of Jeremiah because he appointed Jeremiah to be a prophet. Now we can apply the first two parts of this verse, but not everybody's appointed to be a prophet. But he's setting us apart before we're ever born while we're in our mother's womb for a specific purpose. That means we're alive. Some have said that abortion is modern day Holocaust. One, one uh, trusted Christian leader says abortion is a multi-dollar business, multi-million 
sorry, now back up, is a multi-billion dollar business whose primary beneficiary is Planned Parenthood. It says, this is a business disguised as a family planning, a caring organization, and is leading the American genocide of babies. They not only take the life of fetuses, but they also harvest their organs and sell them as human body parts. So the argument is they're not a human while they're in the womb. And yet, as, after these babies are aborted, the actual parts are sold as human body parts. A drunk driver comes across and kills, hits and kills a pregnant woman. That drunk driver is tried with double homicide, meaning the court of law looks at the mother and the baby as living. And yet on the other side of the picture, this child, in some states, this child can be just weeks away from being born and they are not considered a living being anymore. It just doesn't make sense to me. In Psalm 139, you okay with this tension? This is a message that the Christian church needs to know and there's no other venue where our church family gets together at one time to talk about these things. That's why I feel like it's appropriate in the consuming fire and jealous God topic. In Psalm 139, he says, for you created, this is the Lord, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So again, a child is a living child. This child is a living being in the mother's womb as they are being knit together. I wanna make a statement. If you have had an abortion, you are not being judged and you should not walk in shame. As Christians, we need to love each other. We need to love undeniably each person regardless of decisions that they made while actually not saying you did what, but actually coming close to, to women who are hurting or close to a father and a mother who are hurting and help them through some of the negative effects that could happen because of abortions. So if you hear what I'm saying, uh, the Christians need to stand up for life and at the same time press into and love those who have made those decisions in life. You can amen that part. Okay. So this is what's happening currently in your country that you live in. Just over May alone, Alabama legislators passed a bill banning abortions with very limited exceptions. Louisiana and Georgia passed a heartbeat bill, which means as soon as, the ch as, soon as you can hear a heartbeat uh, with, a, I want to say meter, but sonogram, ultrasound, thank you, uh, that, then that would restrict abortions other than the mother's death or serious health risk. So those are like wins in my category as a Christian. And yet this same time this week, the Disney CEO just said this week that it would be very difficult for Disney to continue filming in Georgia if the fetal heartbeat bill takes place. So what's happening, what you're seeing here, are these huge voices in our country that are putting pressure on lawmakers, Christians, and so on, and everybody in between. Again, this isn't political statements. This deals with life and death. But they're making these huge statements that are putting pressure to make decisions. And it's interesting to me, at least, that Disney has their movies geared toward children, but they're saying, if you don't decide to continue to abort children, we're pulling our, our, our films. New York passed a law in January uh, that protects very, very late-term ab abortions in Vermont, the same thing, a proposal to amend um, the Constitution for the guarantee of abortion. So these things, again, these are not just I'm not preaching about politics today. This is a shift in the culture 
in the country that you live in and you can actually take a stand for this. If we truly believe our God is a jealous God, then we believe that our God is, a, is jealous for those children who are unborn. I just read an article uh, from somebody that said uh, they, they were born out of rape. The, his, the, 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 the gentleman's mother was raped and born. And he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a wasted person because that act happened. And he was so thankful that his mother chose life uh, for that. So what can we do as Christians? Number one, we can pray. It's the very, very first thing that we can do. We don't just get mad about something, actually pray about it. Number two, we as a church donate to an organization called Human Coalition. It's in the South Hills. It's a local pregnancy resource center that offers sonograms, counseling, and care for abortion-determined women. You can give in addition to what we already give each month, and you can actually volunteer there as well. You can contact Pastor Vicki if you're interested in that. A fourth thing that you can do is women. You can build a relationship with a pregnant woman who doesn't know the Lord yet, especially someone who doesn't have the father in her life right now. You can actually do something about this, be in relationship with them, talk about their identity, how important God sees them and their child, and use that as a ministry opportunity. Uh, Fifth, what you can do is actually foster a child or adopt a child. I would like Troy and Satina Hendel to stand up, Dan and Ashley DeWitt, and Brad and Michelle Lester. I didn't see the left. Yeah, you guys are here. These three family, or the Dewey's aren't here today. They're serving in the nursery. So these three families have both fostered and adopted children. I actually, let's honor them for doing that right now. So this would be the biggest step in a fight against abortions, be willing to foster or adopt. So what we have is we actually have a sign-up sheet in the information center that would say, you know what, I just want to learn more about this. I want to learn what it would be to foster a child. And these three families have agreed uh, to talk with you about it and so on. So you could actually sign up to talk with them, meet with them. We're going to connect you this week to have those conversations. We can actually take action on this stuff. Amen? I'll, I'll lead you into some of the amens because I know it's uncomfortable. I want to talk about two... Two more issues. Uh, There's something in the U.S. House bill. Again, this sounds political. It's a cultural shift away from Christian values, and we could do something about it. There's a bill that has already passed the House. The U.S. House of Representatives called the Equality Act. Okay, so I just want to talk about this. As Christians, we believe that God created man and woman as different genders. Seems like common sense, but it is not in our country anymore. We believe that the Bible is very clear that men and women have different abilities, different body structures, different purposes within marriage relationship and within the parenting relationship. So we look at both man and woman with the same level of respect and honor. We're not exalting one gender over another. We believe in equality between man and woman. Yet we do not believe that equality means you get to pick whether you are a man or a woman. And that's what this act is all about. Very clear in one verse, Genesis 1, 27. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's enough differences about us that we should know the difference. So my statement is this. 
having, a person struggling with feminine or masculine tendencies, having a same-sex attraction does not give that person the freedom to change their gender. It means somewhere along in life, there was confusion that entered, the lie of the enemy entered, sometimes because of trauma, because of pornography, because of abuse. Something usually has led to that. So what has to happen is, instead of us shouting out how much we're against things, we actually need to be willing to build relationships with people who are living alternative lifestyles or who are confused about their gender and bring them into the love of God. This is an identity issue, folks. This is not a gender identity and expression issue. This is an identity in who you are created by God. So what happened is this. The House of Representatives passed an act called the Equality Act. This measure will have disastrous consequences for women, children, people of faith, and eventually all of Americans. It is going to the Senate next. So what happened is this. This bill labels Christian beliefs about marriage, gender, and family as discriminatory. Okay? So what it does, it empowers the government to actually punish us as Christians who disagree with modern gender ideology. This legislation has no religious exemptions, which means if passed, there is not, like our Religious Freedom Act will not stand. It's actually written in there that that is not an exemption which means people of faith would be forced if they were gonna remain as nonprofit organizations to hire uh, you know, individuals that, that have changed their gender, that believe they're completely different about their sexuality than we do. Some of the most practical things, dressing rooms, showers, and restrooms would be open to anybody who believes they're whatever gender they want to be. School children will be introduced to transgender curriculum as early as preschool. This is like real stuff in our government right now. You need to pray. I'm not doing this to fire you up or bore you with a bunch of legislative talk. We're the church. We're called to be the hope of the world. We should act. Biological males will be permitted to compete against women in school sports, amateur, and professional sports, and it's already happening. They're like blowing these women away in track meets and so on, and they say, I feel like I'm a girl, and they let them compete. Faith-based charities would absolutely be punished instead of being able to work with organizations such as pregnancy resource centers, because we have certain stances, we would be denied that right. Medical professionals and institutions, they would obviously be mandated to serve these drugs and hormone therapies and so on. So I want you to be confident as a church, we're gonna continue to follow the biblical model for what a male is and what a female is and what marriage is on this campus and everywhere we minister to. The ladies' room is going to be the ladies' room for women who were born women. We will hire, continue to hire at the church, the school, and the daycare based on what we agree with in the Christian faith found upon God's word, no matter what pressure we receive from organizations or the government. At the same time, as we strongly oppose this movement and all of the ideologies behind it, we will love someone that we minister to out in the streets or who walks through these doors that is transgender, gender non-conforming, bisexual, transsexual, or non-binary. If you don't know these words and you want to engage with today's culture, you need to learn these words because they're real and people are walking out their identity in one of these categories. So that means, it's gonna get tense now. That means if somebody walks in here and is obviously a man and is dressed like a woman, we're not putting a target on them. Say, how dare that person? We're gonna do what Jesus did. He would go up to them and embrace them and greet them 
and invite them to sit next to them and not think, oh, how weird. Every single one of our lives has things in the dark that, could, that people could say, oh, how weird that is. If we actually want to be a place of restoration and healing, then we have to know that people are going to come in while they're still broken and confused. Oh, no, 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 no. Go get changed first. Go get all that stuff figured out and then you can come in here. No. We believe we're a sending agency, but we have to get people healed up and well before we can send them out. Right, so it's not, it's not just about like drug addicts, it's about people who were born male that actually believe that they are walking out a female lifestyle right now. We have to embrace people no matter how they come in here. You could say amen to that. Amen. So how can we take action? Number one, we can pray, pretty simple. Number two, there's an organization that I learn a lot of this stuff about. It's called American Family Association. Their website's up on the screen. You can actually sign up for updates. And then I have regularly contacted our local, state, and government legislators that their website helps you get in touch with. In fact, when this Equality uh, Act went, we contacted our local legislators and they got back to us saying that they also are opposed with the bill. Something very practical that you can also do. Serve on a PTA. Serve on a school board like some of the folks in our church are doing. Serve on local government. Like actually have a voice in society. Stay in touch with your teachers. Stay in touch with principals, parents. Give your child permission to say no to being in a certain class that's gonna teach things like this. Last and, and uh, certainly not least is enroll your child in our Christian school. We have from, from six weeks old all the way through eighth grade. I'm not a pastor trying to plug a school. What I'm saying is I have four kids in that school. One has already graduated, has gone through a year of public school, and I know the benefit of what it has prepared her to do. I know that she's been able to stand up for her face, to be able to identify things that she's seen in real classes, real teachers teaching real stuff that is completely opposed to our beliefs, and she can identify it. It's not just because of street science. It's because of the help of our school. So it's action you can take to put your child in a healthy environment at Central Christian Academy. The last section I'm gonna talk about uh, goes pretty close with the Equality Act and it's, it's the LGBT movement. If you don't understand what that means, it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. So what we believe as Christians is this, God's plan and only approved structure for marriage is between a man and a woman. In Genesis 2.24, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and the two become one flesh. So it does not matter how far mainstream media, Hollywood, or any, any, any other voice says that we've come as a country for equal rights, not only to choose if you're a man or a woman, but also now to have intimate relationships and to marry someone of your same gender. The Bible has not changed. People will say, oh, we're developing as a country. No, we're getting further away from the Bible. So we believe the Bible, and we believe that marriage is between man and a woman. So any other relationship that goes between, beyond close friends, between two men or two women, is a sin. I can say that and be opposed to that and still love people who are engaged in something I disagree with. Does this make sense? That doesn't make Christianity hateful. It doesn't make us prejudiced. And it doesn't make us homophobic, as we've been called in media. It doesn't mean we dislike someone who's gay or lesbian. 
It means we're trying to live a lifestyle that is honoring to God. And we're trying to love people through God's love. That's what we should do as the church. In Romans 1.25, it says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and they served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. And it goes on and says, because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. In the Old Testament, we saw it in Sodom and Gomorrah. In the New Testament, this was Paul writing to the Roman church. And today we see it with this current movement. And one of the things that, that boggles my mind is that the, the flag for this movement is a rainbow. I was thinking about this last night as I'm looking at my notes. If I hung a rainbow flag outside of my house today, it has more power in the LGBT movement than it would like, oh yeah, there's a pastor that lives there that is so happy about God's promise that God will never flood the earth the way he did in judgment again. Like the rainbow's ours. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about, watch how the devil's doing this. The rainbow is a sign that God will never destroy. This isn't like a, 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 it's a promise intention with destruction. He's saying, I'm never going to flood. I'm never going to destroy the earth through a flood again because of sinfulness. That was some of the sinfulness that was going on. And now there's this waving of pride around not knowing there is another judgment coming. That should, that should force us to pray for individuals who are lost. There's another judgment coming. And this flag is waving saying, hey, freedom to all and equality to all. It's not coming in the form of a flood as it did before. It's coming in the form of fire. And we need to be in prayer about it. So three years ago, Target, Target, the store, opened up its restrooms for men to go into women's restrooms. There's already lawsuits about it. There's people that have been peeping over things and all kind of crazy stuff. Just this past week, Target has launched several products that promote the LGBT lifestyle. Many of them are designed for children, like I love my dads, I love my moms, and so on. They also donated $100,000 to an organization that their primary focus is getting uh, curriculum into elementary schools and getting gay clubs, they're just called gay clubs in public schools across the nation. So I looked at a third grade curriculum in here and the one of the statements in this third grade curriculum that if all this stuff goes through, we'll be entering public schools. It says, everyone gets to decide their gender identity for themselves. It's just one sentence out of the whole curriculum. I mean, the lesson made me sick to my stomach. One of the, one of the instructions for the teachers was to watch, or no, one of the questions was, uh, what words or pictures would you use to show your gender expression? And it says, watch out for gender stereotypes and then be prepared to teach them against that. So what they're trying to do is eliminate any correlation that a boy could act as a boy and a girl could act as a girl. So an example would be, is uh, how do you express your gender identity? And a girl says, well, I like to play with dolls and pretend I'm a mom. The teacher will actually be instructed to take that child aside and say, well, that's a stereotype, honey. You shouldn't say that just because you were born, born a girl because what if Tyler wants to play with dolls and pretend that he's a mom? He has every right to do that too. So this stuff is happening in our country. And 
If we get mad and angry, then the devil just laughs at us. But if we actually show love to people who are living an alternative lifestyle, who are confused right now, who are just living under the lie of the enemy, and we don't treat them as some target or some project, but like a real person who might just need Jesus, then we can actually make a difference in this area. Are you following me? So what we wanna do, two women walk in here that are married, two men walk in here that are married. We don't get squeamish and avoid them. We do what Jesus would do. We go up and shake their hands, invite them to sit next to us because they're new to our church family and we welcome them in, knowing that hopefully you were welcomed in in the same way. And then we build a relationship with them without feeling all weirded out. And we don't make them our project and we actually build a relationship and ask the Lord to give us opportunities to have real conversations and to actually ask the question. If somebody asks me, well, when did you first fall in love with Sharice? Then I can actually ask that question. When did you first have start, when did you first notice that you had affections for other guys? When did we overcomplicate that? But the Christian church, we're so loud right now that we're against, against, against. How about we like learn how to love people really well and be willing to enter into hard conversations? Lord asked me a question. What if, what, if, what if two men, married men, come into the church, they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and a year later, they still don't break it off and they still aren't refined in that area? Do we kick them out of the church? Then I started asking myself, are there Christians in this church, including myself, that are still caught in things, that still sin, that still messed up, that still aren't totally refined? We don't have a mass excommunication of our church, do we? So we're a church family, we're all in progress. We're all caught up in some area here or there. Thank God for the grace of God. Thank God he's a jealous God for us, that we can be refined every step of the way. So if we're not kicking people out, we're not judging each other on our own sins, then let's not make that one sin the major sin of today. Let's just know the devil is attacking the family like never before. And it's an identity issue. So the last few ways uh, that we can take action this year, number one, pray. It's always gonna be we can pray for people who are making these decisions, pray for people who are caught up in the lifestyle. Second thing, I will revert you back to AFA uh, because they, again, they're addressing these issues. They're giving you tangible ways to contact uh, organizations like Target and other uh, people that are, are there. Number four, uh, parents, educate your children. Grandparents, talk to your grandchildren about things that are appropriate for their age. Teach them they don't have to be afraid of somebody that's living a different life than them. But they can actually love them. But make sure they know the truth because if they are in public school right now, they will begin hearing things like this. They need to know what is right and what is wrong. And the last thing is that we have to be able to have open and honest conversations with people who are just different than us. We have to be willing to have doors open. And when we go out to places like Washington Estates or New York City, we have to be willing to do our best to be Jesus to people who are different. I will not stand for us being judgmental, putting targets on people. They're not our projects. They're people that God is jealous for. I want you to stand for this time. I just want to spend a few moments. I know we, we, we prayed already together, but I just want to spend a few moments uh, in prayer, specifically uh, for those three topics, abortion, the Equality Act, and the LGBT movement. 
I want us to do it out of the heart, a heart of God for, for these individuals, right? where it's not us and them. It's us together. God created us with a purpose and a destiny. We believe that we have found truth and we have found victory through Jesus. And that we can see people in government and people in these lifestyles come to it too. So let's just pray. You can pray out of your own heart. Father, right now, I just pray for any person in this room that has had an abortion. God, I just pray for your peace that surpasses all understanding to just come and invade their lives. We pray that you would remove all the lies of the enemy of shame, guilt, condemnation, and just release it now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I pray that you would help women in our church family to be honest about decisions they've made so they can help other women who are afraid to, make the, to, uh, afraid to communicate those things. God, that you would build up an army of women in this church that could go after with a holy, fierce love other women who are abortion-minded and determined or who have already committed, who have already participated in an abortion, and that we would be known as loving people just with no strings attached. And Father, we just pray as decisions are being made with lawmakers that are completely out of our control, help us to do what we can do. Help us to pray the way that you've taught us to pray. Help us to contact people that we know are making those decisions. Give us a heart to pray for those decision makers, Lord Jesus, and ultimately put us in touch with people where we can truly make a difference. And Father, when we hear about legislation and equality, it seems so far out of our grip. And God, I pray that you would make it practical with us today. I pray, Father, you would send people into this church that you know we are prepared to minister to and we are prepared to walk with them and talk with them and lead them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, regardless of what gender they believe they are, who they, they think they love or who they think they don't love, how they feel like they were formed, what purpose they think they have, God, we know we don't have it all right. We don't have it all figured out. We know your word's right. We know you're right. So help us to follow you in ways of love. Help us to be jealous for them as you're jealous for us. Help us, God, even, even things that we don't think that we can control, feelings of being completely uncomfortable if we see someone dressed in a different gender, if we see two people of the same gender holding hands. God, remove that uncomfortability from us. We can't do that in our own power. Let it be messy if it needs to, Lord. Deliver us from our own pride, our own judgments, our, the way we see people through our own lenses and our own experiences. God, that we can keep in this tension that you are a consuming fire, that there is a judgment yet to come where your wrath will be poured out. And you are also a jealous God who desires every single person to know the peace and the freedom that comes by knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray in these upcoming years you would do something significant through Central's church family in this local community, in Washington Estates, in Washington County, and throughout. Father, we would not be known as what we're against but we would be known for what we are for and how we love people that are living in lifestyles that we are actually opposed to. Allow us to be able to do both of those things as Jesus did as he walked the earth, God. So Father, we need help. We need refined ourselves. So we ask God, we're thankful that the consuming fire of God will not come upon us because we know Jesus, but we ask for that refining fire today. Renew us, refresh us, refine us so we can love like you love. 
Father, we ask that you'd be with us as we go from here until we meet again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.